Dan's prayers. I am. I'm all for it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John and Rebecca. Thank you for being here this morning. Welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those of you uh, joining on us online this morning. Uh, today, we're going to continue in our series that we've titled One Another. Um, we talked about last week, but this phrase, one another, is used a hundred different times in the New Testament. And while we in English most often translate it in two words, one another, uh, the phrase comes from a single Greek word, alelone. And these one another or all alone statements are significant for us as Christians because they provide us with the roadmap for how we are called to live relationally with other believers, as well as how we are called to live in a relationship with our neighbors, our co-workers, friends, and others. But what we're going to see throughout this series is that these one another statements are all counter to our culture and to our nature. In fact, they're so counter to our nature that we can't just will ourselves to do them. In order to grow in this area, we must have a relationship with Jesus and be growing in our faith empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't just accomplish these in our own power and check them off with sheer determination. Today we're going to look at an alley loan statement from Paul in Philippians chapter 2 that deals uh, more with our heart and our mindset than it does with uh, actions. But it's going to be this mindset modeled by Jesus in action that will uh, motivate us to fulfill all these other one another statements that we'll see in the coming weeks. Today we're going to talk about the mindset of putting others before ourselves and living in humility. But putting others before ourselves is so countercultural. Culture says the you do you. Culture says look out for number one. It says treat yourself. Culture tells us to do whatever our heart desires, to always do what's best for you, and to hold on to everything you have for the benefit of you and those closest to you. And so uh, putting others above ourselves is incredibly countercultural, but Along with that, it also goes against our natural instincts, which are always to look out for ourselves and to protect ourselves. You know, from the time we are born, we innately look out for our needs first. The baby, right? It cries until mom comes to soothe it or feed it or give it whatever it wants. The toddler cries or misbehaves until they have the attention they desire. The grade schooler tattles on everyone else in the class to make themselves look good. The high schooler sneaks out in the car that dad already told them no to. And then we have the adults, and we tend to be the worst, looking out for ourselves at work, striving only for our own prestige, looking out for our kids at the expense of others, and so on. 
And so you could argue that this starts out as a survival skill, but our selfish desires quickly provide the evidence of our sinful nature. We all desire and are attracted to our wants and our needs first and foremost. Yet it's humility and it's putting others first that Paul is going to call us to and that Jesus models for us throughout his life. And throughout the New Testament, it's this characteristic of humility that is elevated and praised over and over again. In fact, last week at our small group we talked about, and it was humility that we were being called to, and it was changing our behavior. This week I read a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and it came up in this book again. In the first pages of this book, he makes a point that I had I'd never heard before. Uh, he gives the credit to Charles Spurgeon, but the point is this. There is only one place in the Bible that Jesus describes his heart or his uh, inner man, as Charles Swindoll words it. It's the only place that Jesus lets us see into his heart. And, and by that, I don't just mean his emotions, but the heart, which the Old Testament describes as the center or the core or the essence of who we are. And it happens in Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus' description of his heart or his core is different than you might expect. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says the core, the center, the heart of who he is, is gentleness and humility. And it's this characteristic of humility that Jesus modeled for us throughout his life and his death. It's this characteristic of humility that we are called to over and over again in the Bible. And it's this characteristic of humility or thinking of others above yourself that will empower us to live out these one another statements that we're studying. But it's not easy, it's not natural, and so let's delve into how Paul calls us to that. So we're in Philippians chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 11. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as God, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look at this passage and we study your word and examine our hearts, Lord, we pray that you would uh, just open our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. God, we thank you that we, we are called here to humility and to value others above ourselves. But this isn't a call that is foreign to you, but this is, uh, this is the identity, the core of who you are. Lord, we thank you that Jesus, in his humility and in his putting us above himself, would go to the cross to die for our sins so that we could be for, forgiven and experience life in you. And God, I pray that as we study this, that you would just uh, reveal the sin in our life, Lord, and that you would give us the courage and the boldness to repent from that and turn to you, Lord. God, I pray there's someone here that has not experienced your love and grace through Jesus. They might experience that today and know you. 
But Lord, we just, uh, again, we thank you for the privileges to study your word, Lord, and we pray uh, for your blessing upon this time this morning. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we read that passage, first off, I pray that you are encouraged and challenged by that passage. But I would guess there are some of you here or watching online that are a little bit like me, and you read that passage and were quite a bit alarmed and concerned that the phrase one another was not directly in our reading. And so before you walk out, let me assure you that the Greek word all alone is indeed present in verse 3. In fact, the NASB sticks with a one another translation and translates verse 3, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. And so if you're unsure of that and you need to see the Greek for yourself, please don't start looking for it on your phone right now. Come and talk with me afterwards. I'd be happy to point out that the Greek word is indeed in verse 3. The NIV just uses a little bit different phraseology. But that's enough Greek for one Sunday, so let's try and figure out what this means and why it matters to us. In the first half of verse 3, Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So if we want to be people that walk in humility and value others as greater than ourselves, then I think we need to first recognize that our nature, our natural response to all situations is selfish ambition. So that's our first point today. By nature, I am selfish. Now that may sound a bit obvious, but I think recognizing it and being honest about it is the first step to getting our hearts right with God. Humility is of God, but selfishness is our human nature. Psalm 119, 35-36 reads, Direct me in the paths of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statues, and not from selfish gain. It's that selfish gain that we are always drawn to. Now, that's not like something that we popularly talk about in our culture. We don't like to think of ourselves as selfish. We like to remember the good things about ourselves. We like to remember the one time that we gave that, that 15 or 20% tip at the restaurant, that we helped the homeless person on the corner, that we helped the old lady across the street. And there are indeed times that we do value others as greater than ourselves. And that's a very good thing. But I think if we're honest, we can see that the times that we are not selfish are a conscious choice. And the times that we are selfish, that's just naturally responding. Again, we don't like to think of ourselves as selfish, but it is indeed our nature. I think for me, there's two big instances or moments in my life that stand out that made uh, uh, made me aware of just how selfish I am naturally. Uh, The first one of those dates was January 6th, 2012, or even more so the weeks and months that followed that day. That's the day I got married. When we were dating, we spent a lot of time together, but it was always based around my schedule. It was based around my days. It was based around my desires. If I had something come up, I could always postpone a date. But you can't do that when you are married. Marriage is a humbling reminder of just how selfish we naturally are. But it's also this beautiful opportunity to be a servant and to put others first. But when I got married, I didn't realize how set in my ways I was, how set in my routines and my expectations I was. But then all of a sudden, I lived under the same roof with somebody else who had different ways and different routines and different expectations. That was that first moment that made me aware of just how selfish and how much my world revolved around me. Fortunately, in my case, I, I married up in the world, and I've been shown grace over the years. Amen, that's right, yes. But that's the first one. The second reminder of just how selfish I am came on June 24th, 2014, and that was the day that my son, Cademan, was born. And that day, the days of hobbies, 
movie nights, planning spur-of-the-moment vacations, getting a full night of sleep, having a bowl of ice cream to myself, they all evaporated that day. That was again reiterated December 2nd, 2016, and again on May 20th, 2019. There are now three little humans that live in our house, and they all jumped straight to the top in terms of needs. And again and again, I've been reminded of just how selfish I naturally am and how selfish we are by human nature. If you're a parent, I think you know this, but parenting is one of the most incredible growing opportunities we have in this life to give of ourselves for the good of others. And it is certainly a humbling experience. But the reality is, and the Bible tells us, is that selfishness is our instinct. It's our sin nature and our natural response to all situations. And it's important that we know that and we recognize that. Recognition and repentance are the first step toward living for others and living in humility. To live for others, we must first consciously deny ourselves, which means saying no to the thing that I want that first comes to mind. So this week, as we think about this point, just take some time and pray about those areas in your life that you know you are letting your selfish desires run wild. Ask yourself, what is it in my life that I would not be willing to give up for others or for God if he called? Where am I consistently looking out for me first? Where am I putting others down? Where am I insulting others so that myself or my family can get ahead? And as God brings those to mind, pray about them and repent of that selfishness that's in our hearts. And so here, Paul, he starts, he gives us the negative. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. But then we get the positive action or our desired means of relating to one another. This is important because we're not supposed to just dwell in this self-deprecation, but instead we turn the focus from ourselves to others. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So don't be selfish, but in humility, value others. And right there is this important, it's the, the most practical and important key to healthy relationships, marriages, families, churches, and friendships. And this is not just a key for, for relationships, but it speaks to life and it provides biblical wisdom over all areas of our lives. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, looking not just to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. And this verse 4 is such a, a, a great verse and a neat verse because the word interest here is really, it's kind of a filler. The original is much more open-ended. It reads more like uh, that uh, all that is, is specified is your own something so, uh, and the other something. So it could be let each of you not look only out for your own financial affairs or your own property or your own family or your own health or your own reputation or your own education or your own success or your own happiness. It's like a fill in the blank. You fill in any area of your life. Don't just think about that. Don't just have desires about that, which is yours. Don't just strategize about that. Don't just work towards that. But Paul says, look to the fill in the blank of others. Look to the financial affairs and property and family and health and reputation and education and success and happiness of others. So it's like a fill in the blank. Don't just look to your own fill in the blank, but each of you look to that in others as well. In so many ways, verse 4 is a way of saying the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty two thirty nine, where he calls on us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is, make the good of others the focus of your interest and strategy and work. Find your joy in making others joyful. A simple example of this from our household this week. Uh, this week in the van, I, I was out of town, but my wife is here, and she took the kids, and she said, let's go get ice cream. That's, that's always a good day. 
Uh, but she told them they had to share with each other. And so Cayman, who's my six-year-old, looked to the four-year-old and said, Annalise, let's get vanilla because I know that's your favorite. Right? That's simple. That's what I mean, though. It's letting go of your preference, in this case, which is chocolate for him, to serve someone else so that their desires may be fulfilled and bring them joy. Or an example, this would be when you're watching TV and you've had a long day at work and your child says, Dad or Mom, would you play with me? Instead of thinking about how tired you are in an act of biblical love, you put your child's interest above your own and you get down on the floor and you play with them. Or as you're thinking about your own financial affairs, you don't just think about your own 401k, but also consider how God can use your resources to advance his kingdom, to help a family member, to help a friend in need. As you're thinking about your home, you don't just think about how can I make this home most comfortable for me, but how can I use my home for God and his glory? For some, that may mean how can I better use my home to host others? It may mean God has provided resources, so I'm going to get a bigger home with the intentionality of blessing others. Or for some, it may mean I need to sell my home and downsize and see how God can use those resources for his glory. Or as you think about your education or your work, it may mean not just thinking about what have I accomplished or what am I owed or what do I deserve out of this. But instead, it means thinking about my education, my experience as a gift from God for his glory. And shifting my mindset from what have I done and what do I deserve to how can I leverage my education my experience, my work to make Jesus known in my workplace? And how can I use my work to bless, to educate with intentionality, to heal, to love the community God has placed me in? So in all aspects of our life, Paul is calling us to recognize our selfish ambitions and then in humility esteem, value, or think of others above ourselves. And so our first point was we are selfish. I think the second point was up there, but our second point is to esteem or think of others as greater than ourselves. And since the verse contains the Greek word all alone, I put it in that one another structure, in humility, think of, esteem, value one another above ourselves. I I think one of the reasons we struggle with this is that in our culture, we have developed a really poor, bad definition of humility. I think that definition jades our understanding and our call for biblical humility. For example, this week, uh, I, I, uh, I Wikipedia, which is always, always provides only the most accurate information. But I checked Wikipedia, and it defines humility as this, a low self-regard and a sense of unworthiness. And while I think that's a really poor understanding of humility, I think that is the common understanding of the word in our culture. I remember as a teenager hearing the word humility and thinking to have humility, I needed to be self-deprecating and think very little of who God made me to be. The reality is that's not humility. That's low self-esteem on the verge of depression. The Bible's not calling us to hate ourselves and who God created us to be. The Bible tells us that God created us each with intentionality just the way we are for a purpose. So why do we need to hate or think low of something God created, meaning, meaning us? But instead, biblical humility is having a proper understanding of who we are, a proper understanding of who God is, and then in gratitude for what Jesus has done, his love for us, it means submitting our will, our preferences to him and others. Humility is not thinking poorly or meanly of ourselves, but it's thinking greatly of God. And out of our love for him, submitting ourselves to him and others. I like the way Andrew Murray said this. He said, the humble person doesn't think meanly of themselves. But instead, the humble person, he said, they simply don't think of themselves. Humility is about 
having proper perspective and a proper submission to God that allows us to not just think of our selfish ambitions, but to think of others and their needs and their preferences above our own. I'm going to read you real quickly. John Piper had a summary of this from his life that I thought did a good job of making it a little bit more understandable and personal. He said, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He said, I remember when I was in the ninth grade, I heard this and thinking that was impossible. He said, for me, I thought about it in black and white, and I thought my sister could read it seen ten times faster than I could. And so in my mind, there was no way I thought that she could esteem or think of me as better than her in reading. On the other hand, he said, I got A's in algebra and my sister struggled. So there was no way I could esteem or think of her as better than I in algebra. He said, but I missed the point. The point is not what others are in a skill. The point is what you count others to be. And the focus is not on how they can read or do math or any skill or trait. The focus here is will you count them as better or as worthy of your help and encouragement? Not are they worthy of me, but will I count them as worthy? Will I serve my sister? Will I take thought not just for my own interest, but hers? Will I value her above myself? Will I encourage her to take the time to help her and build her up? Paul is not saying we got to consider others better than ourselves in this way where we put ourselves down, but we count them as worthy and we lift their needs above our own. So simple application for me. Uh, for me, I, I, I'm a black and white person. I like things done away. And so my natural response when someone's not doing it the way I want them to do it is either to criticize them or to take over and do it myself. So a simple application of this for me would be in the home. When I see my six-year-old folding clothes not the way I prefer clothes to be folded, instead of just telling him I got this and sending him on his way, I humble myself, my preferences, my time, and I get down on my knees and I fold clothes alongside him. I encourage him and I help him. I think of what he needs, not my preference, for perfectly folded clothes. Or in my work world, I, as I share and talk to other pastors, and instead of assuming that I have the answers to all things, I humble myself and recognize I surely do not have the answers. And instead of putting others down, criticizing what they are doing, and elevating myself, I come alongside and I celebrate with them. I pray for them. We share ideas with one another. And I listen because I believe they are worthy of my time, and I value what they have to say. In your workplace, this means not viewing everyone in your workplace as a threat to your job, to your promotion, to your bonus, to your ease, but instead viewing and loving them as worthy and celebrating them and serving them and helping them and loving them. With your spouse or friend, it might mean listening to their point of view and considering it, even when it might be different, and deferring at times to their needs and preferences when it will help lift them up. In the church, it means loving those that are different from you and considering what others may need and valuing those things is more important than what you need. I love that example of the church in LaBarge who has this group of, of older members who know church to be done one way, but they are doing it differently in order to take the gospel to the next generation. We are called to repent of our selfish ambition, think of ourselves in humility, and to value, honor, and esteem one another is better than ourselves. But where does that other-oriented commitment come from? Verse 3 says, In humility count others more significant than yourselves. The only way we can count others as more significant than ourselves is that we ourselves live in humility. Humility is the opposite of you, O oh me. So why? Why do Christians, or why are we called to walk through life feeling a humble sense that we owe service to people rather than they owe us? 
And the answer for that is that Jesus loved us and he died for us and he forgave us and he accepted us and he gave us eternal life. He made us heirs of the king when he owed us nothing. He treated us as worthy of his service when we were not worthy of his service. He took thought not only for his own interests, but for ours. He counted us as greater than himself when we were indeed completely unworthy. That's where humility comes from and can come from. Christian humility is in response to the incredible grace that God has shown us. Freely we have been served, so freely we serve and are called to serve in response to God's love for us. God chose to save you and me when we had nothing to offer him. Gratitude for that is how and why we offer grace and we look out for others. That's what we see from Paul in verses 5 through 11. How do we walk in humility? How do we give up selfish ambition? How do we esteem one another? We look to Christ who did that for us and who is our model. It is only in Jesus and through Jesus that we can live in this manner. And that's our, that's our final point. Jesus is the model and the reason we live in humility. And we, if we read Paul in Philippians 2, he starts in verse 5, and we get this just beautiful theological discourse of the humility of Christ throughout his life. Verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And in this passage, Paul gives us a timeline of Christ's humility throughout his life. He is humble in how he comes to earth. He is humble in his death on earth, and he is humble in his exaltation since his departure from earth. And understanding this helps us to find humility in Jesus and, like, and the humility he has given us. So let's look at this real quickly. We first see his humility in coming to earth. Many people think that Christ being, Jesus' being began at his conception in Mary, but that's far from the reality of the Bible. John 1, when referring to Jesus, tells us that in the beginning Jesus was, and he was God and nothing was created apart from him. Jesus' life didn't begin the day he was born but he was at the beginning of creation. So for Jesus to come to earth, think of what he gave up. He gave up heaven. He gave up perfection. He gave up the glory of heaven. He gave up his powers as God himself for what? To come to earth, to earth, to be born in a manger, to be limited to being a baby, all for people, you and me, who would spit on him, hate him, and eventually kill him. That is humility and the ultimate example of putting others before yourself, giving up your own comfort, ease, riches, glory for others. Jesus did all that for you and me. But not only was Christ humble enough to leave heaven and come to earth, but he put others, the world, you and me, in front of himself so much that he was willing to die on the cross for our sins. A death so painful, so dreaded, so torturous, so humble, that it was generally only regarded for the worst of the worst criminals from the lowest of classes. Yet our King, our Messiah, our Savior chose to die on a cross because he placed you and me first. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He could have called down angels from heaven to get off the cross. He could have stopped it at any time. As we talked about in, that, in our series before Easter, he surrendered himself. He willingly went to the cross on our behalf. 
That's the ultimate example of humility. That's putting others first. That's being a servant. Aren't we thankful that he did? That's why in Jesus, in humility, we can, we can and are called to put our self-interest aside for the interests and needs of others. We don't follow a dead, selfish man. But instead, we follow a living Messiah who lived out servanthood to the point of death on the cross. That's why we are called to live. And that's why we are empowered to live a life of humility. And then, finally, we see the humility of Christ after his departure. It doesn't say that Christ left heaven, that he came to earth where he was hated, that he faced death, all so that he could one day exalt himself. No, it says because of his servanthood, because of his humility, the Father exalts him. And he gives him a name above all names to whom every knee will one day bow. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility, and it's because of him. It's because of his model and what he has done for us that we too are called to live lives of servanthood and humility. Spreading the gospel message not by the sword as other religions do, but instead through humility and servanthood. That's the model we see in Jesus' life and throughout the Bible. Paul reminds us at the very end of that, he says, there's going to be a day when every knee will bow before Christ. Some will do so willingly out of joyful obedience to their king, while others will be forced to do so as they spend an eternity separated from Jesus and his glory in hell. Who Jesus is, the life he lived, the grace he has shown us, is our model and our reason to live in humility as Christians and to think of others as greater than ourselves. The life Jesus lived and the life he has given us is why we give of our lives, why we give of our wants, our needs, our desires, so that others might hear of the hope that he offers, they might know him. I don't know how you could experience the grace of God and then not do everything in your power to share that hope with others here and across the world. So friends, let the reality of what Jesus did for you sink in this week. Allow it to change your heart. I think the key to overcoming our selfishness is to dwell on the reality of what Jesus did for us and let his power indwell us to live differently and empower us to live differently. This week, I'd encourage you to to memorize this passage and dwell on what Jesus has done for you. I don't know how you can think of that and not be grateful for what he has done and not change the way you live. I don't know how you can know and see what Jesus did for you and not give your life for others. Knowing that Jesus sacrificed so much when I was completely unworthy is what empowers us and gives me the courage to sacrifice when I need to lift others up. Knowing the grace that he had for me and for all of us while we were still sinners empowers us to have grace for others when they sin against us. Knowing that Jesus gave up heaven for me and for us makes it a little bit easier to give up my preferences, my desires, my wants, and the things I hold on to so, so tightly. So this week, let gratitude humble your hearts. Each day, look for little ways that you can let go of your preferences so that others might know and hear of Jesus and find the peace that you have in him. So as we respond to this passage, the first question we always ask every week is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? We saw it here. Paul says that Jesus came and he humbled himself to the point of a cross. He died for your sins so that you may experience life in him. Do you know him that way? Paul says one day every knee will bow. Will your knee bow willingly or as a traitor and an enemy? Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. And so if you have questions about what that means to follow him, or if you're ready today, would you come and talk with me or someone about what it means to follow Jesus? Would you investigate who Jesus is and ask your questions and figure out if he is worthy of your trust? Because he is.
And secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus, the, the question for us is, are we living a life of servanthood and of humility? Are we valuing others above ourselves or do we live a life of self-interest, self-ambition, and self-seeking? And what are, the, what are those areas in our life we think practically? What are those areas in our life that we need to let go of our own desires and begin to serve others, begin to share the hope we have in Jesus? And so practically, as you, as you try to think about that, a lot of that's in the clouds. It's a little bit abstract. We're talking about how do we change our mindset to serve one another. So as you think about practically, what is one way this week that you can intentionally put others before yourself? What is that one thing God's calling you to do that you can go out this week and intentionally do to value and esteem others as greater than yourselves? Think about that. Ask the Lord to give you courage to do that this week. And then go out and do it. So I'm going to pray for us. And as I do, the Tuckers are going to come and lead us in one final song. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us. We thank you for the life that you have given us, the hope that we have in you, the future we have in you, Lord. We thank you that while we were unworthy, that while we were sinners, far from you, that you gave up heaven, you gave up all that you deserved to come to earth, to be born as a baby, to live a sinless life we couldn't live, and to give your life on the cross so that we could be forgiven. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the life that we have in you. God, I, my prayer is this week is that we would take some time, that we would reflect on, on who you are and what you've done in our lives. And Lord, that in gratitude for that, that we would submit our desires, our preferences, our wants, even our needs, that we would submit those to you and that we would esteem and value others as greater than ourselves. God, I pray that as we, we think about this, that you would, in each of our hearts and minds, uh, make this very practical, that you would show us areas in our lives where we need to repent of our selfish ambitions, areas of our life where we need to value and esteem others as greater than ourselves, Lord. And we pray that, that it's through us modeling your servanthood and your humility that you would call many to faith in you, that you, would, that you would dramatically change our community. Lord, that you would use the character that you are growing in us to show who you are to others. Lord, we pray that there's someone here that doesn't know you, God, that, they would, that you would make it real to them who you are and just how much you love them. Lord, that they would submit and they would follow you the rest of their days. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this day and for the chance to study your word. God, and we pray that you would bless it and use it in our lives. It's your name we pray. Amen.
I just want